This episode contains explicit discussions about various forms of domestic abuse, including verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. If you find these topics distressing, feel free to skip this episode. If you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org.au or for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. Please look after yourself. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. We really appreciate your continued support over the last year and we're happy to announce that we have published the Breadwinning Mums book. Yay! This book is based on the conversations from the Breadwinning Mums Season 1 episodes. It highlights the candid journeys of each mums, as well as a golden nugget of wisdom from their life's lessons. Now is the perfect time to give the gift of the Breadwinning Mums book to the special mums in your life or to yourself. No matter where you are in life, I'm sure the practical tips within the Breadwinning Mums book will help you take your lives just a little bit further. Limited copies available, so order yours now at breadwinningmums.com. That's breadwinningmums.com. Coming up next on the Breadwinning Mums. Be brave. Be brave in anything and everything that comes in front of you. Whether that is to open your mouth and talk and speak up. Whether that's to say no because it doesn't align with who you are. Yeah, be brave in absolutely everything. Just think about that in every thought or every decision that you make. everyone and welcome to the breadwinning mums podcast this is a place where we debunk the myths of working mums cheer each other on and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise today we're chatting with christine anderson a fellow breadwinning mum with one daughter Christine is a state manager at FBAA. She shared with us her life story about growing up in Australia, bringing up her baby daughter as a single mum, and surviving various forms of domestic abuse in her relationships to now inspire others in similar situations to find courage and bravery. Here we go with Christine Anderson.
So, Christine, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. So we obviously just met today, but yep. we know a lot of common people in the industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you came, where you started from and how you came to be where you are? Sure. Okay, so where I came from, I actually grew up in a tiny little town in central Queensland um, and then found myself um, between there and Sydney, actually, to mm. be very honest. We've we first came to Australia and we lived in Sydney with my aunt and uncle and um, then we moved to the tiny little town in CQ and I, I did my schooling there and then as I, when I got older I, I moved between Brisbane and Sydney but now I'm living in Brisbane yep. so that's uh, sort of where I came from. Um, Were you born here? I was born in the Philippines. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. but I came over here, and I think I was one when we yep. when when we came over. So, yep. um, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much was born here, raised here. Um, yeah, so my stepdad was from New Zealand, so I ah, had yeah. Is that why you moved? And we yeah we moved up to Central Queensland because that's where his work was. Okay. Hmm. All right. And how was the childhood in Australia? Um, well, I guess I don't really have anything to compare it to, mm. um, but looking at where I grew up in central Queensland and at that time, there weren't a lot of little Asian mm. kids running around, um, mm. so it's predominantly, you know, Caucasians and uh, First Nation mm. people. Um, I was a child, I was raised, I should say, I was raised to be seen and not heard. Yep. And in Asian culture, you know, that's very much a thing, right? So um, do as you're told. I probably got in trouble at least once a week for <laughs> silly things. Yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't a hard child. Yeah. Um, I went to school. Actually, I laugh about this a lot with my mum. So she sent me to school. So in the Philippines, when you go to school, you don't take lunch from home. So mum's done the same thing because you get fed breakfast, lunch and dinner mm. at the school. So she sent me off to school on my first day. I wasn't very big on speaking English either. Yep. Um, my mum would speak to me in her dialect. So my English was very limited. Yep. Um, and of course, I was starving oh, all day no. long and I was, you know, was be seen, not yep. heard, oh. do as you're told. So I was really <laughs> quiet. Yep. And I remember... Um, a lady walked up to me, she was from the tuck shop, and she asked me, you know, what do you want, where's your lunch? I sort of just looked at her. And, um, yeah, so anyway, she asked me about, you know, food, and she did the actions, and I just asked her for rice and fish, but didn't get that. Um, I got a party pie for the first time, so she gave me two party pies. Mum and Dad picked me up that afternoon, and <laughs> already had to go to the office because, you know, I'm like, well, you've sent her to school with no food, yeah. and then Dad's sort of saying to Mum in the car on the way home, "Why, you know, why would you do that? Yeah. I bought all that stuff at home was for her to mm. have lunch at school." So Mum's like, "Oh, I didn't realise. I thought they were her snacks when she got home." Mm. Anyway, so that was that was the start of school for me. Yeah, <laughs> but I got lunch every other time. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, and it, yeah, I guess a lot of of that upbringing with. To be seen and not heard, I, you know, I, I was very disciplined. Mm. Um, I thought, I didn't want to get my mum's big long nails put in my ear and yeah. the ear twisted and pulled yeah. at the same time and getting a smack, you know. Um, so also, uh, and I did dancing. 
mm. growing up, so that was my thing. Mum lived vicariously through me, so I was a ballet dancer. Oh, wow. Um, up until I was about 15 oh, is wow. when I quit. Yep. Yep. Why did you quit? I quit because I wanted to work. Okay. And I got myself a job at the age of 13 at a pharmacy mm. and, um, you know, getting my little yellow packet of money at the end of the week was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that just didn't tie in with training. We would train seven days a week, mm. you know, after school, before school, weekends, Saturday and sometimes a Sunday. Mm. So it was very full on through high school doing that. Mm. So, yeah, I just said to mum, finally grew some and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Um, I want to, I want to be able to work and, um, yeah, so... Was that a hot battle? It mom? was, because mum was very, you're mm. doing this, you're doing that, mm. you don't say anything, you just do, right? Mm. Um, and dad, because dad didn't earn a lot of money either, it was his blood, sweat and tears that put me through a, a private education mm. and, you know, doing these things that mum wanted me to do. She tried to push me to do tennis one time, mm. um, but I'm not a tennis player, so <laughs> that probably lasted three lessons and dad said she doesn't want to do it, you yeah. know, just let's not waste any more yeah. money. So dancing was very expensive because mm. I didn't just do ballet, I did tap and jazz and oh, national, wow. so I did everything that was offered at the school. Yeah. Um, going to a Stafford's, going to exams mm. in Rockhampton, which is an hour away from where we lived. So I was really right into that, doing that. But that made mum happy. Mm. So it was, it's always about making your parents happy. Yeah. Um, uh, high school, probably, I, I became a little rebellious and um, started to come into my own personality and, and exploring mm. things myself. Mm. Um, I find in a small town, not not a lot of um, Asian kids were around. Mm. Uh, I had a few peers and friends that were Filipino as well. We would see each other on weekends, so I found I was always comparing myself to these really beautiful girls that all the boys wanted, and it's like, mm, you know, and you would try different things, you would do different things. So I always found I was forever doing things like that. So I fell into the beauty side of things, doing hair, doing makeup. You wanted to be seen. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that's sort of where it led me um, with a passion. Mm. And with that job at the pharmacy that I worked at, I said to mum and dad, you know, I gave up the dancing. Then mum, mum wanted me to do ballroom dancing because it would tie in with everything. So I make mum happy. Mm. <laughs> ballroom dancing, Latin, the whole lot. So wow. I did all that with her, uh, for her as well, and I was good at it. I was actually really quite good. I'm state champion oh, wow. um, a couple of times, um, very early in the game of it, but then I got myself a boyfriend and... That was more fun. That was more fun, <laughs> so it was like, well, and then I started working at McDonald's as well at the same time before, oh, wow. beforehand, and I turned around to mum and just said, I want to quit school. Oh, so wow. I, I did year 11. Yeah. And I didn't go back. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I had, I had skipped the last six weeks of school. Oh, well, not the last six weeks, but six weeks before the last two weeks of school when we were meant to do our exams, I had skipped. Yeah. And I'd forged my parents' signature. Yeah. At the Catholic school in a small town. <laughs> 
we Your had, mom must be livid. Well, it was more so dad. Okay. Yeah, I think mum was away. So dad was like, you need to tell your mother what you've done. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was very much a dad's girl. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd always follow him around the house. Like He was very handsy with and doing things around the house, so I'd always be following him around. So he said, you need to tell your mother. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm probably going to end up like, <laughs> be put somewhere. She's going to send me back home to the Philippines or something. So um, I told mum. Mm. Uh, and she just looked to me and she said, well, you're going to have to finish off. And I had to go do those exams. Mm. Um, and I did them mm. and I actually passed. Mm. Um, and then I just said, well, mum, I just don't want to go back to school. Mm. I, I'd rather do something else. I'd rather go to TAFE or I'd rather work. Mm. Um, so mum and dad said, fine, you don't have to go back to school, mm. but you need to do something. So I enrolled myself into... Um, an IT course, a six-month mm. IT course at TAFE, and that was interesting. And back then, you know, things were still just taking off. Yeah, yeah, we the good old dot matrix printers. Mm. Um, and then I one day I said to my boss at the pharmacy, "Oh, do you have any work?" And she sort of looked at me a bit funny, and I said, "I left school. So, yeah, you know, I finished up last year, and I I've mm. almost finished TAFE." And then she said, oh, you should have told me sooner. I would have given you a job oh, straight away. Yeah. So then I started working full time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, with her. And she owned two pharmacies. Mm. So one at the top of town and one at the other end. Mm. And I got my licence and I just worked my way up through that mm. in the dispensary, um, out on the floor, mm. doing makeup for weddings. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, so it was, it was great because it was a nice little town and yeah. then delivering stock between the two pharmacies. Yep. Uh, eventually, the bottom pharmacy became my home pharmacy mm. and I started pretty much, oh, I didn't get the title, but, mm. you know, I was basically it. running it as a 2IC at a very young age. Mm. So I stayed with her for nine years. Wow. Yeah, okay. pretty much from when I first started. Yep. Um, yeah, and then I met my daughter's dad mm. at and... Um, I was a bit standoffish because it's like, oh, well, someone's paying me attention. What the heck? Um, not used to that. And then, yeah, and then my daughter was born in 2003. So, yeah, very. it was a young love. Yep. Um, How old were you when you first met? 19. Oh, wow. 19. Were yeah, we? Oh, no. Yes, so we were 19. Yep. Okay. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so, well, three, three, four years working full time. Mm. Yeah. Sort of, yeah, I was 19. Was yeah. that your first real relationship? No, I'd had a boyfriend yep. in that time. Um, but, you know, that's like teenage stuff. So I guess, yeah, my daughter's dad was like the first real proper, yep. serious, um, want to get married stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Did you know that this is getting serious? Yeah. Even when you were 19? Yeah, funny. I know. Yeah. yeah. I think I was just really blown away a lot, though. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, that was a bit of a whirlwind because he was actually in the military, so in the US military. Oh, is um, he American? Yeah, okay. so a couple of trips overseas. I think my 21st mum and dad paid for me to go over so oh, I could have some nice. time and, yeah. So you were nice. on a long distance for a while? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. okay. He was actually in town for a good six months, eight months yep. for a while, so there was that courtship, but 
the first six months I was like, no, it's okay, no, I'm fine, yeah. thank you, but no thank you, be yeah. like at the... Um, at the pharmacy door yeah. every afternoon on a Friday with a oh. flower. I'm like, oh. The girls would be like, hey. Yeah. Um, your friend's here. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I just stay out the back. I was like, no, please, no. Try to avoid him. Yeah, yeah. Try, I did. I really did. Only because oh, you just, you know, you're yeah. an American um, military <laughs> guy. Like, <laughs> okay. No, so thank you. So what happened? I just gave in. I was sick of it. I was I was over him like being there. So I thought, okay, I'll go on a date. Yeah. So went on a date, and he was actually quite charming. He wasn't this cocky, obnoxious yeah. person that I thought he was. Yeah. Um, deep, the real person. He was actually a really, really good person. Okay. Um, funny, made me laugh. Yeah. Um, could be serious because I was very serious too. Um, when it came to guys, so you know, it's like oh, I'm a bit of a tough cookie, but then I'm a clown at the same time. Yeah. Always clowning around. That's a nice so, combo. Yeah. yeah. And so, how long uh, had you been in that relationship until you have your daughter? Um, Nineteen, oh, like two years. Two years. Okay. Mm. Was that something that sort of came out of the blue? Yeah, like she was a complete unexpected. surprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you were so long surprise. distance then. So yeah, but at the time I had gone over to San Diego. And, to um, live there or were you together? I did a three-month um, stay and mm. I was planning to go to Canada and the UK with my friends. Okay. Um, whilst we sorted out what we were doing with visas and whatnot. But, oh, um, you were going to stay there? Mm, yeah. <clears throat> okay. But that didn't work out. Oh. And I remember Dad saying to me, if you ever have a baby, you need to come home and have your baby. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, that sort of was like a complete left field mm. surprise. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the 90 days I was like, well, I had a return ticket for home. So I went home and obviously Canada and the UK wasn't going forward. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was the, the beginning of, of motherhood for me. Wow. How yeah. was it? It was, well, I wouldn't take it back now because I think it's, I feel it has formed who I am today. Um, the one thing I would like to probably maybe relive in a dream or something is is enjoy my pregnancy instead yep. of, you know, feeling... Well, you're probably anxious about yeah. the future because it's so uncertain. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I was just working part-time. I, I had given up that job at the pharmacy mm. when I left because it, there was no... I, my plans weren't to come back. Mm. And when I came back, I was still in touch with uh, some girls that I worked with. One of them had gone to another pharmacy and she had mentioned to the boss there, I know someone, she's worked in pharmacy for a long time, even a casual or part-time job. So lucky I came home three months pregnant and he landed. said, yeah, landed mm. a, a job. And he said, yeah, you can fill in when people are on holidays, but other than that, I'll keep you on part-time role. So that, that was super lucky for me. And his wife was pregnant at the same time with his sixth baby. So oh. <laughs> he was very family oriented. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> if anyone's going to get some empathy towards yes. raising a family, yeah. it's someone who has six kids. Yes. Okay. So, and right. of course, lay-by was around back then too. So mm. here I was, you know, lay-buying the pram and all the bits and pieces and doing the $5 a week on each thing because mm. um, I was determined to do it without asking for mum and dad's help, even though they were more than willing to help. Yeah. But for me, I was determined to do that on You've my own. You've been very independent from a yeah. very young age, yeah. it sounds like. 
Um, what about the, your daughter's dad? Was he involved at all during those early years? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So it just, just, just didn't work out? Yeah. You decided to come back and I decided to come back, raise her. We had a few discussions um, right up until the day she was born. Yeah. Um, we were talking, but, you know, we were young and boys... <laughs> Was he about your age as well? Yeah, was okay, yeah, it was yeah. probably a couple of months difference between us. So yeah, very young, um, and you know, someone wants, are you sure it's mine? So like, mm, okay, all the usual silly questions. Mm. So from that, I just thought this is too hard. Mm. Um, I don't want to deal with that crap. Yeah, I've I've got this baby to focus on and provide for now. So. Yep. Um, yeah. Was it ever a question of whether if you should have the baby or not at the time, or was it just when I first found out? Yeah. Yes, very much so. I was in the states, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, is this real?" <laughs> I think I probably did about three tests, mm. um, and we were on the rocks at that point mm. at a t of time as well. There were things that came out in the relationship that you know, aren't nice. So for me, I thought, well, I have all of this going on in my mind. Now there's a baby here. Mm. Um, what do I do? He actually had suggest suggested in a heated conversation that we could not go through with it. And then, of course, when you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do the other. Mm. So... Um, I did think about it and, and then just thought, no, this is, that's completely against my upbringing, my beliefs. Mm. And I was old enough mm. and ugly enough at that point in time to deal with what had become. Mm. It's not like I was a 15 year old or, mm. you know, a teenager who still had mm. their life mm. in front of them. Mm. I was old enough to have made my own decisions at that point. So. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, it's against what I've believed in, so it's happening. It. I'm going to yeah. do it. I'll be I right. It, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> well done. It sounds yeah. like you're always mature for your age anyway. Yeah. I think I had to grow up quite quickly mm. when I was much younger, mm. um, trying to navigate through life. Yep. Uh, you know, Dad was busy working. Mum sort of... Well, she was raised in the Philippines, so it was a different way. But trying to navigate the Western world, I had, I learnt, I experienced things, you know, sooner than I guess my daughter mm. would have mm. at this age, you know, mm. at, at that age. So mm. I didn't have the guidance there. Yep. And that's not any fault of my parents. Mm. It was just the time and, yep. you know mum not really understanding how it is. Mm. Mm. So how was it? So you've been a single mum from the get-go. Yeah. How's it been like? How old is she now? She's 20. Wow. Okay. Yeah, she'll be 21 next year in June. Yeah. Uh, it's been a roller coaster, yeah. and it's the only roller coaster that I will ever ride um, and enjoy. Mm. There, we've had our ups, we've had our downs. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all a matter of how I pushed through it. Mm. Uh, she's the reason for everything I've done for the last 20 years, really, is everything's always been about her. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's good. And she's a good human. Mm. She's, you know, she's grown up. She's still at home, which is good because I cried when she told me she wanted to leave home. <laughs> and then I put the guilt on. I was like, oh, you just can't leave me. Why would you do that? Who's going to look after the dog? And 
When was this? Um, recently? This was recently, okay. actually, <laughs> earlier in the year, about June. Yeah. I was almost but just dying. And she, I was driving through Sydney actually, and she rang me, and yeah. was like, I was like, wait, what? No, I can't talk to you about this right now <laughs> for another I'm gonna, forty years. <laughs> I'm gonna have a car accident. <laughs> Can we talk later? Yeah. So, uh, you know, at the age of twenty, they get this idea in the head and, and I think oh well I prolonged it as long as I could because yeah. I, I moved out of home at 16. Oh did you? Yeah. Wow okay. Yeah went out and to be Miss Independent. And, yeah. I mean rent was $60 a week so yeah you know. Still though still, at 16. Yeah. Okay yeah. no wonder you had to tell your mum mm -hmm. about your quitting school because she probably didn't know yeah otherwise yeah yeah okay. so so how was those first few years then of raising your first daughter? few years raising my daughter they were fun. Um, she was born nine weeks early. Oh, wow. So she was premier at five pound four. Yeah. So she was just a fighter to start with. You know, mm. she just wanted to do things mm. or come into the world early. I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. But um, the first few years were, were interesting. Mm. Um, I, she was a great baby. She was a really great baby. We didn't have too many health issues. Mm. Um, you know, did you just live the on normal. your own or with your I did. I, I lived with mum for a little bit, uh, then decided that I was better on my own yeah. uh, because I wanted to do everything on my own. And yeah. mum's like, oh, I got the babe. I'm like, well, put it back. You know? yeah. I, I'm on a yeah. sleep and a feeding schedule. Um, so then I, I moved out probably, I think she was about 18 months old. Oh, no, it was before that. So, oh, one she would have been about 10 months old. Okay, just before one? Yep, just before one. I moved out, found myself a little unit down um, near my dad. So he lived in a, a, a blue, is it blue cow nursing home? But he was in the section where he was just looking after himself. So it was, you know, a unit down there. So I lived, yeah, across the road from him. So it was nice and close. Oh. Um, Daddy's girl. Yes. Yeah. So your parents separated. They separated. Yeah. Okay. Um, they actually separated before I went to the states. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So just before or just, way, way before? Yeah. No, just before. Just before. Okay. Yeah. Probably about four months before oh, wow. I'd gone to the states. Yeah. So they waited for me to turn twenty-one and then told me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, guys. Yeah. Did you mm. see it coming? Was it obvious? Yeah. Yeah, it was very obvious yeah. that it was happening, but I just left mum and dad to do their thing and mm. tell me in their own time. Mm. So I did that. That was fun. Um, she was a very funny little baby, but I I could speak to her. We could have a conversation before she could walk. So wow. whilst I was pregnant, I read everything that I'd look at. I'd be reading it out yeah. loud. Yeah. Uh, and she's now actually a, a great reader mm. she could read a whole book in a couple of hours mm. and I say do you read every word she's like yeah mm. I'm like okay mm. um so that was interesting that was good I was there for mm, about 12 months and then I met a boy and went into that relationship slowly mm. um but that ended up very badly um it was about eight years that relationship went on for so my daughter started to call him dad uh, but so bad that we ended up in the Supreme Court. So that's how my journey from that town brought me to Brisbane, took me to Brisbane. 
Okay. Yeah, to get away from it all. Mm. Mm. Okay. Are you open to share? Yeah, so it was a very abusive relationship, a lot of drug use and alcohol in that. Um, So he enjoyed that sort of stuff on a weekend. And look, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed having a drink. Still young, still trying to navigate this motherhood thing. Um, But then through the week, really great. You know, there were no, he wasn't on drugs. I wasn't drinking. He wasn't drinking. Everything was great. Um, And then probably I think my daughter was around three. And that's when things didn't, the, the, the abuse started happening on a daily basis. So, and it could have just boiled down to, he didn't want to eat what I was cooking mm. uh, and that frying pan of food would just get thrown mm. across, straight off the stove, across the room, Yeah, you know. So um, because I was still trying to navigate yep. motherhood and this little girl, um, it got to the point where we had three massive files at the police station. Wow. Um, a lot of the time they wouldn't do much um, because of who he was um, and the family that he came from and what had already happened within their family. So that was really, you know, I was, it was hard because I felt I had nowhere to go. I had no one to turn to. I had ruined friendships because I kept on going back. Mm. Um, but I was determined, because I'm, I'm always determined, but I was determined to be the person that made a difference. Um, you thought you could change it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I thought, oh, this is just a moment in time. Mm. You know, and I saw the love that he, ha- that he had for my daughter as well. Mm. He was very good with her. Mm. Um, but then it just got worse and worse and worse and got, you know, we were getting locked in the house. My daughter knew how to, she had a little phone. Mm. She knew who to call, mm. what to do if, you know, mum was was knocked out or injured or couldn't move. Um, was that an occurrence? Was that a... Every week. Every week? Yeah, three, four times. It could have been every day of the week towards the end. Wow, okay. Yeah. Do you think it was like a cycle that's gradually being turned up? Um, in frequency and then you sort of got used to it yeah that you sort of expected it mm-hmm. for for it to happen and then a release to come and then things will be okay again yep and then you think that actually yes he's he has this bad thing toxic side of him but he also has this beautiful side and this is probably worth hanging on to yeah even though this happens yep because at that time too I had stopped working mm-hmm. and put myself through beauty school. Mm. So he was the breadwinner. So you were dependent on that, him financially. Yeah, for yeah. that part of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And wow. then, you know, the family was supportive. Um, obviously, of me and, and, and my daughter. Mm. So they would often, if something would happen when we are at their house, mm. they often would be fighting him off. Um, we moved into their house, into mm. the family house at one stage when uh, my daughter was starting school. Mm. So 
to have that family support because we need to get her to school, I needed to get to, to school, he would go to work, there was always someone around mm. to help look after or mm. get, you know, get her to school. Mm. So, um, and mum was living down here in Sydney mm. too um, at that time. We, we did sell up the house and come, I'd left him. We sold my, the family home and, and I'd come down here and then I went back. Mm. So there was a lot of back and forth, probably th- four times. Mm. Um, and that was probably around, the first time I left my daughter was about four and a half. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But you felt like because you had family support, it was safe yeah. to leave your yeah. daughter. Were you in your own way, looking back, trying to find your way out? Yeah. In a safe way. There was, yes, yeah, in a safe way. And I think too because so much of our things in the house, you know, and I know they don't mean anything, but for me because I'd worked hard and I already had these things, the washing machine, the fridge, and and then I was financially dependent on him after that, we had nothing. It was more (laughs) practical to stay and live with the drama not drama the nightmare mm. I guess because at the time it was still the balance is always a balance a trade-off right yeah it's still worth it mm-hmm. to live there yeah okay um when were you able to um go back to the very first time it ever happened and whether if it was physical verbal emotional when did you first realize that this was something else more than just like a moody or attitude so the first time it happened would have been about nine months into the relationship. Mm. And I took it, and it was physical, but I just took it as, I mean, obviously it was something I wasn't very used to because I, I wasn't raised that way. I, I grew up in a, a, a good loving, home, a loving family. home, family, yeah. you know, happy and mum and dad would have an argument. But they'd always, you know, they'd be upstairs in the bedroom having words, never in front of me. Mm. Um, so probably, yeah, about eight, nine months into it mm. was the first, uh, what time happened? I was skull dragged down some stairs. We were at, um, one of the family's houses for a birthday celebration. Yeah. So it happened in front of everyone. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. What happened? Like before that? Before that, I was just sitting with the girls mm. Having a drink, having a laugh, then I I don't know, just out of nowhere, I was yep. getting skull dragged down a, down a set of stairs. And I used to have really, really long hair. Mm. Um, yeah, so just skull dragged straight down a set of stairs out into the front yard and then I just remember walking up a, walking up the street. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah, and a few of the um, aunties came out and we pulling him, you know, what are you doing, what are you doing? And he, he didn't care. Yeah. He did not care. Was he a little bit drunk? He was very, yeah. very intoxicated. Okay. Mm. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> okay. And so after that one incident, were you freaked out? Like what was Well, I was, I was then? very, very upset. The next day it was very apologetic. Okay. So because it was the first time, mm. I thought, okay, all right, very apologetic. Um, to the, he was crying, you know. So I was like, okay, all right. I said it can't happen again. Mm. This cannot happen again. Mm. And look, nothing happened for 
probably another couple of months. Mm. And then it became a pattern. Mm. Someone would have a birthday. So it's every time he went to somebody's birthday, he'd really get on it with with the cousins and mm. the brothers and all this and that. And mm. then something is said and just out of nowhere something. Yep. Triggered Yeah, it would trigger mm. him. Mm. And I always stuck with the girls mm. and the aunties and everything like that. Mm. Um, be in fear. Mm that maybe if I mm. said hello to someone or he's not going to like it. Yep. But sober, I could walk up to any one of the family members, give them a hug and a kiss on the cheek and mm. greet them mm. and off I go. Mm. But something just would trigger yep. uh, every time the alcohol was involved. I didn't realise that there was drugs involved at the same time oh, wow. early in, in the piece. Yeah. Um, when it, and, and the type of drugs that were involved at that point in time, I didn't know. Mm. What was it? So, um, speed. Yeah. Yeah, amphetamines and and alcohol. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so, fast forward eight years of that, Mm -hmm. um, what have, are you able to explain your headspace during the first time it happened when he skull dragged you down until the moment when you decided, I'm out, this is it? So the moment I decided enough was enough, um, he had my daughter and I barricaded in the house. We had two, um, we had a, a blue nose pit bull and another American staffy, but he had barricaded the fences off as well, um, halfway up the house. And it was a little miner's cottage that we lived in. And he had me sitting in the kitchen and my daughter sitting in the lounge room and he was in between us, so I couldn't get to her. I was trying to get to her. And he'd cut off the other entrance into the, the lounge room. And he was just ranting. Um, he was high on Just He was high. Yep. He hadn't slept for days because mm. he'd gone out. He'd gone for a weekend. Mm. I remember I had to go pick him up and I was really scared to pick him up. Yeah. But he told me go pick him up and I picked him up. I put her in the car and picked him up. And when he, I had drove up to him, it wasn't my car, but he had kicked the door from the outside, put a big dent in it. Um, and I thought, oh, my gosh, no, 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 mm. you know. Mm. And I tried to drive off, but it was a 10-kilometre zone mm. um, going up the main street oh, and it no, was yeah. one way. So yeah. he ended up jumping in. Yeah. And drove home. My daughter was so used to it. She just sat there and he, she was used to his yelling. Mm. And she would just zone shut out. it out, yep. zone out. So we got home and, yeah, he had us in separate spots. Um, and all, I, I, he was just rambling, rambling, rambling. And I thought, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I was sitting in front of a window and, and they're those really old windows and those cottages that push out. And I had managed to call mm. the police, mm. a direct line into the station because I mm. had it. Mm. And I just let them hear. Yep. And I sat that under my, my leg. Yep. And I kept on looking at my daughter to, you know, give her the... The thing to like sign to to come over to me because I was going to throw her out the window. Mm. It wasn't far down, mm. but mm. you know, at least she'll be out. At least she'll mm. be out. Um, then I I sat there, kept on looking through the 
the curtains every now and then, every time he turned his back, then I started to see one car turned up, two, mm. three, total of seven cars got there. Police cars? Police yeah. cars, okay. paddy wagons. Mm. Mm. Uh, they had parked on either side mm. of our house. Mm. And um, I thought, okay, well, I, I just can't get my daughter, I can't get her. Mm. Because he swung at me, uh, initially he swung at me and hit her. So oh, I had no. run away to be, you know, to yep. be separate from her because yep. if yep. anything is going to go for me yep. and not her. Yep. Um, as soon as I saw those cars and I could see them coming from both directions, I jumped out that window mm. and I just said, she's in there. Mm. You've got to get in. Mm. Couldn't open the doors, both front and back door. You couldn't access the back door because he put the big fence up for the dogs. The front door they could get to, but it was jammed. They couldn't get in, so they had to bust that down. Mm. Yeah, there was he. He just wasn't coming out. Mm. Um, they asked him to let my daughter out, and he mm. just became a little mini hostage situation. So I just said, "Bust the door down, bust it down, get her out." He swung at me and hit her. So I don't know how she is. Mm. She seems fine. She's awake. She's not sleeping, but get her out. Mm. So that was the very last time. I said, that's it, I'm done. Mm. I can't do this mm. and I can't let it keep happening to her. Mm. Yeah, so we got out and then I, I had nowhere to go so I stayed with a friend and then that's when the really bad stuff happened. Mm. So that, that last time when I'd realised this is it for me now, mm. it wasn't the last incident. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What so happened after that? The last incident, um, yeah, he came. He came after me, and okay. we'll just say it was at Supreme Court level. So okay, so he was basically he was literally trying to kill you mm. when he realised that he couldn't have you anymore, mm. that he couldn't control you anymore. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I'm so sorry it happened. What? So how did you get through it, and how long did it last for? That really last part. Um. Well, I stayed with, with my friend, um, but that last part, yeah, once I'd come through and recovered um, from everything, I came, went down to Brisbane with $100 from the arresting officer because <laughs> I had nothing. Mm. Three days' worth of clothes, a couple of TVs in the car. Um, and yeah, my daughter and I drove to Brisbane. I had a, a friend who had just recently moved to Brisbane from Sydney and she said, just come stay with us. Um, and she was living with another lady who had four four kids. So yeah, it was a pretty full, full three bedroom mm. house. Um, but that friend of mine um, had a good job. So she was like, it's just a matter of finding somewhere. She found somewhere and we moved. Um, and I just was on notice until we got a, tr a date to go. So I was, wasn't was subpoenaed for, it took two years until I started getting subpoenaed to go back up to the Supreme Court to testify. Okay. Mm. So in that time I'd got my job with the FBAA, so six months mm. not uh, working and my friend helping um, mm you know, to keep a roof over our heads and I got very little money from Centrelink. Mm. Um, and then that French, you know, it was a burden. That was a lot for someone to take on. 
she was very gracious in that time, but also too, I didn't know how to navigate what I was doing mm. and what was going on. Mm. Um, first time in my life, I didn't really have a job, even though when I was at beauty school, I, I had something to do. You know, and I was working from home doing nails and waxing and whatever. But this, I literally, all I did was take my daughter to school, come back and the school was just up the road. Mm. I don't know, started making homemade pasta and doing all these dishes because I had nothing else to do mm. in that time. Applying for jobs, um, not getting any callbacks because clearly I was more suited for a retail position. I managed Sports Girl down here for three years, so very much in the retail space, trying to get what I wanted because um, it, it meant that I could provide and look after my daughter. So that two years, yeah, and then rolled on into the FBAA, um, which was exciting because I had just moved into my own place. Mm. I, I, you know, went, we went our separate ways. Finally asked my mum for help <laughs> and moved into my own place. Um, and a month later, the job with the FBAA came up. Yes, can you tell us how it all happened? It was very serendipitous. Yeah, so I was off. I, I actually got offered a job the day before and then 20 minutes later the, I was told I couldn't have that job. Pete walked into the employment agency that was down in Stone's Corner and asked if there was anyone they had anyone. My lady said, I think I do. And I was in the next day for a, for an interview mm. and um, offered the position not long after that. And I had sent my daughter to school. She was sick, but I really wanted this interview. So I was hoping that everything was going to be cool. But yeah, after that <laughs> interview, um, I had 10 missed calls from schools. Like, oh my goodness, I've got to go. Um, but yes, yeah, so the job was offered and I started on the 30th of July, mm. 2012. Wow. And been there ever since. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it was good um, yeah. because I could develop yeah. my skills in admin and a lot of things that I've done. So. Mm. Okay. And how have you grown in this role at FBAA, um, even outside of, you know, the whole family situation that you were on before but also this is probably the second stage of growth in your professional career mm. outside of the first you know stint at the yeah. chemist yeah how did how did you find this time around uh this time around yeah I'm not really sure actually I was going in, I went into something that was very new to me mm. uh and they had a little team anyway to start with. Mm. So, you know, I learnt the basics. And What was your role when you My first role started? when I first started was doing the renewals and yep. reception. Yep. Yep. Um, and, you know, Pete was travelling. Leah was there as well, but she was doing a lot of stuff off-site. Uh, we had another lady there who was been there for a long time so I was learning from her but she was only there four days a week um some Fridays you know and there were questions that I just had no idea mm. the only thing I knew about finance was my own bank account yeah and that there was really not much money in it yeah <laughs> you know, it was like I knew my budget's like okay school fees did all this okay great done that's it yeah uh so you know there'd be emails yeah sending sending to Pete how do I answer this I'd forward something 
can you tell me what this is, you yeah. know, and he'd come back to me. He probably is so happy now he doesn't have to do that with me anymore <laughs> because it was always like, oh, what do I do with this? What do I do with that? Yeah. And I'm waiting on replies. But uh, I guess I would have to say in the beginning I learnt how to <laughs> defer people for a moment in time. Yeah. Um, well, you learn the rope. Yeah, mm. yeah. And to be honest with them, and I would say, listen, I, I've just started. Mm. I have no idea what's going on. Let me get you the right answer. Mm. So it was to be brave mm. to say that. Because mm. um, here I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going into like yeah. the corporate world. This is very different for me. Mm. So um, but that's the skill set that I had from dealing with people in the pharmacy, mm. grumpy little nannies and poppies, uh, was a godsend. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to yeah. Yeah, take that, that over. And now, I guess looking from my journey starting there, I started in renewals and I moved into new memberships, which is a little bit more extra work. Um, that was interesting. Everything was manual back then too. And calling references and it was just... Mm really long and tedious and we would have piles of applicants and all the supporting documents would be coming in and oh it was yeah it was a nightmare I often think how the heck did we get through that yeah, yeah. so then then our little team grew mm. because we needed more bums on seats um and then it shrunk again <laughs> um then we with the uh, um we used to use Salesforce. Oh, okay, yep. Uh, so we had to find our way around that and get it to work the way that was good for us. Mm. So there was a few, I started finding a few little efficiencies within it, mm. but then it would break and it's like, whoa, we can't use that again. And then we'd get the external team in to try to fix it. And every time they fix something, something else broke, you know. Yeah. So yeah. internally, yeah. we're all just yeah. trying to find things. Externally, it was fine uh, as long as... The members were okay. Mm. Uh, it didn't matter what was happening inside. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we went through that for years and just being resilient mm. and just going, well, okay, you know what? That's not working anymore. We've got to find a way to get around it because yeah. stuff's piling. And it was just that for many years. Mm. I know. <laughs> right? I, was, I was there you, Yes, you're there. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Every time something great happens, like, yes. And then it's like, oh, broke again. Okay. Yeah. So eventually it got to the point. I, I, I found that I could do this um, Salesforce architecture mm. courses through it. Mm. So you could learn mm. through it for free. Mm. And we were working with another company that was doing fixes and I had to start learning the workflows and how – each page meant what? So I got a little interested. Mm. Um, so I started doing these little free courses and Pete said, oh, this would be great. You'd be able to do all this stuff internally. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, but it's still an expensive thing, you know, system to use. Then eventually one day Pete just turns around and goes, guess what, we're rebuilding. Oh, cool. He goes, yep, from scratch. And you're it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Looked at him, was like, and I was team leader at this time. I'd been yeah. promoted within the within the team uh, to team leader, yeah. which was a scary thing because when you're promoted within a team, and and you know there was a point in time that there was bullying within the um, within 
the the four walls and I literally would go home in tears um I just go to work do what I had to do and but I stuck it out because Pete's always said to me it's it's not what you do it's how you get past it or what you do to keep yourself moving um you know because also during this time a year after I started with the FBAA I found myself I got myself another boyfriend um which was very different different abuse but you know I lived two lives but it was all a matter of how I got through things so um work was my haven hmm. um it was because it was very mental abuse a lot of mental abuse in this second relationship and also too I was a little bit older so wasn't feeling confident within myself um but this time round I didn't allow my daughter to become close mm. with that person mm. um he did move in but everything was on me it was always I'll do it I'll do it I'll do it I'm doing this I'm doing that cooking that's just the whole lot mm. and I just wouldn't allow a bond to happen mm. um and I kept this I, I I mean all abuse is bad all of it is not acceptable but i feel as though the mental abuse is the worst uh that for me personally it's the worst mm. i've gone through why is that because things those things really stick with you you hear it enough you believe it mm. so was it a matter of him speaking to you in a degrading way mm-hmm. yeah and trying to um to tell you who you are yeah I completely changed. Mm. Right down to how I dressed. Mm. Wouldn't even put an ounce of makeup on. Um yeah. I became a very different person. Mm. Completely different. Um and it's sad. No, I guess I get the tears because not what I went through, but it was sad. it's sad to I look at it now. you're grieving for her and i think wow you really let the ball down on you you fucking dropped the ball on this one chris you you completely changed you let you let someone change you was it because at the time you thought that this was not really abuse because he didn't hit me yeah and he thought he's looking after me in a different way yeah yeah And I think I'm so great, you know, but I'm grateful for what I've been through. Mm. Because these days you can you're allowed to talk about this stuff. Yeah. It is good to share it. Um I think it's important for us to share it. Yeah. And and we're not frowned upon for sharing it. We're not told to shut up. No, you're you're really brave. Yeah. So for me it's some people that I have encountered um through this my role um especially now being state manager for the last almost 18 months I've had one-on-one conversations with people but you know I I can I can see it in people mm. and I don't straight out ask them mm. I just have little conversations and get them to mm. talk about themselves mm. and find the right time to sort of share a little bit of me yeah So this is really raw um share doing this podcast because there's going to be a lot of people that now will know no. the full story. Yeah. 
um, I have been asked why I don't trust people, mm. but now this is why. Mm. Because, uh, I don't know, as an adult, I guess sometimes I think I allow myself to go into these situations. So maybe I'm just beating myself up a little bit too much about it. But I'm, I mean, I'm okay, but I still have trust issues um, because these things are my story to share. Mm. Not that I want the limelight for it, but I don't believe you should ever speak on someone else's behalf or just because you know a little bit, you don't know the full story. You shouldn't pass that judgment either. So that's sort of where I come from. But it's the first step, really. I think um, I need to heal because it's only been 18 months since I've come out of that last relationship. Oh, wow. And that was for 10 years. Oh, no. Almost 10 years, really, you know. And even coming out of that, it was um, on and off, on and off, um, not going back and forth, but the, the communication was still there. You know, whether it was good, whether it was bad, Mm. mostly bad. Um, But there were moments in time where the conversation was good and it reminded me of the person I met initially. Yeah. Mm. But When did you first start seeing the cycle and and this last relationship? Uh, Probably about two years in. Two years in, Mm. okay. Yeah. And so did it um, take you back to that previous relationship and you thought, okay, I see a cycle here that happened before, probably not within the same context, but it's still giving me the same negative feelings Mm. and that maybe I should do something about this? Uh, No. So, okay, you know what? The red flags were already there in the first six months because he'd gone to prison. He went to prison for a couple of months. Okay. Um, But he was... There was... the mental, it wasn't, there was nothing now in the, in the first two years. So we'd gone and done that, come out, and I was there visiting him. But I didn't realise at the time, I just thought, you know, he's in prison, he's lonely. We're talking, I go visit every weekend. Mm. Um, I was already invested in this relationship. So when you said there was nothing there, you meant you weren't partners, you were just friends? Oh, no, or? we were partners, but um, nothing there. I didn't see that oh, it was okay. the mental abuse. Yep. So for me, there was... Yeah, nothing. But yep. really, red flags. Old mate's going to jail. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. You know. Um, but once he'd come out and we'd gone through this journey of making sure his visa wasn't uh, cancelled, and because he had bought a house here and his whole family lived in it, and you know there was this, just this whole family unit, and I loved it because I was always over there helping out parents, the nieces, the nephews. All this, you know, and and I was part of a big family. I grew up as a single child. I mean, my dad had kids, but they were all older. So it was always just me at home. So having this beautiful family union, even though he'd be a dick sometimes, the family... is positive. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I thought I was doing fine because I had a job. I was taking care of my child on my own financially. I was taking care of myself financially. And then I was... Also taking care of him financially. And you weren't living together? Uh, he had moved in okay. n- um, not long after he'd come out of jail. Okay. So it was all there. And he didn't have a job for 10 months. Okay. So everything was fine. When I come home, my house was clean. Mm. Can't cook, so I'd cook. But the house was clean. Mm. Take daughter to school, go to work. It, you know, so that was kind of, it, it was good. Um, 
then he started working too and then he wanted to keep his own money and then pay his mortgage but then oh what's going on how about in mm. here where mm. you live mm. you need to contribute too but then I thought okay it's okay I can do this on my own mm. I've been doing it I'll just keep doing it mm. so I enabled that behavior to continue mm. and then of course he, he just got great like he just wanted more he became more and more selfish mm. um, and oh I'm going here I'm gonna go drink Okay, off you go. But I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go to the shops, like go shopping. I alienated myself from friends because they say, oh, they're this or they're that. I don't really like that person. Oh, okay, then keep the peace. I'm just going to cut myself off from the world. Mm. Got off social media. Mm. That's it, done. Cut off. All I had was contact with my mum. Mm. Um, and... So I, I just kept on, kept mm. keeping on, mm. going to work, just knowing I was providing for my child, going through school, high school was coming. Um, yeah, I just kept on doing it. But I knew I could go to his house and hang out with his, you know, his sister-in-law, his mum, and I wouldn't get questioned. There'd be no text messages or mm. whatever, my phone blowing up. Mm. Um, but otherwise it would happen. Otherwise it, it would happen, else. yeah. Mm. Even at work sometimes it would be. At what stage did you allow that to happen though? Because you were already working, right? Yeah. You haven't met him then. And then you met him um, and things have started changing. Did you, did you, now looking back, can you see a point when you started allow, allowing it is a very, you know, yeah, use right word, from the beginning. Yeah. Right from the beginning. Okay. I allowed it. Okay. I allowed the constant text messages and having to answer back, answer back straight away mm. because he'd lose his crap. Mm. I allowed it right from the beginning. Yeah. And that's why you mentioned before that you've dropped the ball because yep. you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought I could fix it. Mm. Or I thought I was that person that they would change for. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I allowed it. And that went on for a very long time. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> it's okay. How has all these um, life journeys affected your daughter, looking back? Looking back, I mean, the first the first time round when we left that, oh, she was, she had deep set anxiety, and I had to get her through that. So we did therapy with that, and then I promised her that we would never go back and that she would stay at the one school. Because mm. she had changed between Queensland and New South Wales mm. a number of times in the earlier years. So I promised her that. Mm. So we did, we stayed mm. in Brisbane and she finished primary and high school there. Um, that deep set anxiety also came from me learning that she'd been abused whilst we were in that relationship. The first one? Mm. Oh no, by the same guy? Oh. Um, by a family member. Mm. Oh, no. At a very little, a very young age. You meant sexual abuse? Yeah, yeah. So at that point in time, because she was acting up. Um, How old was she at the time? At the time that it happened to her, she, it would have been just before we left, so she would have been about four. Oh sorry, no, I lie. 
she was at school, so I think she was prep, so she would have been maybe six, mm. five or six. But she was, yeah, she was still young. Mm. Yeah, five. Prep would have been five because she was young when she finished when she finished high school. She was seventeen, so mm. she'd have been five. Yeah. So that was really hard to hear. Mm. She was fourteen when she told me. Mm. And I remember I had her coming to the office with me over those school holidays because she was acting out. She was playing out. So I had grounded her. Um, I'd grounded her and I'd said to Peter, I said, I need to bring her to the office. Like, this girl's in big, deep shit with me. Uh, school holidays. He's like, yeah, that's fine. I said, oh, we'll just make her bloody do some shredding or, you know, she can help out around the office. Or if not, she can just sit there and read a book or, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it came out in the car one day uh, on the way to the office uh, because that actually stemmed off the weekend. She, um, I'd walked into a room and found her with a belt around her neck. Oh, no. Because she'd had a boyfriend at school and they'd broken up. Anyway... And I didn't understand. I've just walked in and seen it, you know. So I didn't understand what the hell was going on. This boy, I'd met him, didn't realise it was a boy. Like, it was just a friend to me, you know. Mm. She said it was just a friend. And I understood that my daughter always hung out with the boys. I didn't, so I just thought, yeah, not a boyfriend, boyfriend. Anyway, so I didn't understand what the heck was going on. You know, I'm frantic. I couldn't get the belt undone, and I'd called my partner she at the time. Already. She, yeah, well, I don't think anything would have happened because of the way she was sort of she'd sort of done it. But um, I called out to my partner at the time, and I said, "Come in here." You know, well, I'm screaming, crying, and he's come in and taken her off the bloody thing, taken the thing off her, the belt off her. Um, and then, oh, sorry, there was a big fight before that and I got my mum to come over. It was what, what it was because it was an argument over my daughter and I was like, rang mum, I was like, you know what, you need to come over here and just take her because you two keep doing stuff behind my back. Just come get her. Come look after her then if that's the case. Mm. You know, I was hurt mm. because things were going on behind my back. My mum knew stuff and why would you not talk to me? Mm. Um, I get it, I can be really fiery, but it's when I'm angry when I find out that it's already been happening or whatever, you know, you didn't keep me in the loop. So mum, I said, yo, you better come over here. Mum turned up and then I was like, your grandmother's here, go, get your shit and go. Mm. And that's when I walked into the room and saw that. So then, you know, and then my partner at the time, he was very quiet, he never actually released to speak with mum, except for just normal high by how things been. Um, this one time he actually, you know, my mum said a few things and was trying to take my daughter to go with her and she was like, no, I'm staying, I'm staying, I'm staying, everyone's screaming and then he's just turned around and gone, you can't just take her. She's the mum. You can't keep doing what you do. She's the mum. Mm. You know, that was the only time I probably felt that he was on my side mm. or even stuck up for me. Um, 
but yeah, so finding that, that was hard. Anyway, so this grounding, she told me about it and, you know, I said, I just want to understand mm. what's going on with you. Mm. Talk to me. Mm. Um, and I knew that she felt that she couldn't talk to me because of this partner that I had. He wanted all the attention. Mm. Um, but I said to her, I said, it's just you and I right now in this car. Talk to me. Tell me, tell me. And she told me about this abuse. And I just, I just said to her, I said, look, we got two options we get the f we get him we go and do what we need to do to get him or we go and get you therapy and get you better to be able to deal with it and be able to move on in life you've got two options I said they're both going to be hard but it's a matter of do you want to relive all of this or do you want to just get better from it Right, because that was 10 years gone already that we would have to go back on. Mm. I said, we'll just get the help to be able to help you cope and, and mm. not have to relive these flashbacks. Mm. So I said, but the, the choice is yours. Mm. You know, I said, the choice is yours. It's one or the other. And you can change your mind if you want to. Mm. Um, so she chose to go with with the counselling and just, I just want to move on from it, Mum. Mm. Okay, all right. Then talk to me, learn to talk to me. Yeah. That then, was four years ago? That was four years ago, yeah. How old? Oh, six how years ago. Been? Six years ago. Yeah, mm. she's, now she's just, she has her moments, mm. but she'll talk to me. And also too, now that it is just her and I, mm. she will come talk to me. Mm. We, you know, probably had a, we had a little argument the other weekend or a debate about our feelings, you mm. know, but I was reminded her, it's just me now. Mm. You it's can talk to debate. me anytime, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, so, but she's good. She's quirky. She's, she's her own wo woman. Mm. Um, still mum's girl, though. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's really, she's, she's good. So I check in with her every now and then. Mm. She's gone and put herself through some therapy as well um, on her own accord, mm. Mm. so which is good. Yep. And it's, I see the difference in her. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yep. Do you do therapy as well? I do. Has it helped? It has helped me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In what way and how long have you been In coping doing? mechanisms. I probably haven't been for a long time, but mm. I went, I did like two bouts of it. Mm. Um, but it helped me cope with stress. Um, being with the last guy, I did two lots of it. Um, first time round, I pretty much had a mental breakdown. Um, so I, I went and did that. Um, it was good. I learned to deal with a lot of things and also understand mm. where it stemmed where from, it stemmed from um, for myself and also his behaviours. Mm. And I think understanding his behaviours and where that stemmed from, mm. I then allowed more. Mm. I was more enabling more. Mm. But I would talk to him about it too, but he wouldn't go have therapy. Um, oh, you had therapy whilst you were in it, whilst you were still in yeah, it. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. but not with him. I yep. just went on my own. Yep. Then I got Bell's palsy a couple of years. Oh. I think it's been five, I think it's about six years now. Okay. I got Bell's palsy. 
um, that was, there was no virus or anything like that. It was all high stress, stress levels. Okay. So I went through that stage again, a, a, another bout of therapy um, to try and understand at that point in time what the heck was going on. Mm. So What happened to you? How did it manifest itself? It I woke like up and felt like I'd been at the dentist mm. and I thought, oh, my, my lip mm. was really, really numb. Mm. Uh, and then as the morning progressed on, we were taking people to the airport and I kept on saying, does my face look funny? Like, and it was just drooping more and more. And mm. he said, yeah, let's go to the doctors. Mm. So I went into my local doctor and she got me straight into uh, the QE2 to go get checked up. Mm. And yeah, so lucky we caught it on the, you know, the day I woke up and that mm. happened mm. and got into um, the steroids mm. So I probably about ten day turnaround, everything came back good. Every now and then I get a little, like I might have a little spasm, mm. um, but then off that I ended up with type two diabetes and high cholesterol. Oh. But yet a month beforehand, yeah. my everything was great because we actually were trying to have a baby, so I was having fertility tests just to make sure I was all good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and so ever since then, it's like, well, no more stress. Yeah. Like you cannot stress about stuff. I just did not want to be in that position again. That was scary. Mm. Um, so now I know mm. um, I, I've got the coping mechanisms to just chill out. Mm. And I mean, I was still obviously living this double life. So mm. I found, I found a, a way to just cope with home and cope with work. How do you do it? Do you have any like go-to? tips uh how do i do it i i literally i just walk out mm. i walk out and go take a deep breath mm. and i was a smoker too back in the day mm. back then um but it was just walk out mm. go for a walk mm. exercise was a massive thing for me back then too so that really helped mm. um you get lazy you just go oh i don't want to go but even if it was just a five minute brisk walk mm going for a walk around the block, um, no music, nothing. Mm. Just you Clearing and me. the outside mm. sounds of the cars or the trees or the birds or whatever it is. Mm. Just even five minutes, take that time out. Mm. Uh, that was how I would cope with things and deep breaths. Mm. Yeah, that okay. was pretty much how I, I could get through my, mm. my things mm. and then just come back in and go, it's not personal. Mm. Or whatever had happened, mm. you know, it wasn't personal. Just get on with it. Yeah, there's a job to be done. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And so, what's your headspace like now in terms of relationship and how you approach it? My headspace now is I'm doing me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, Would you ever go into another relationship at this point in time? At this point in time, probably not. Mm. My career's changed. The directions changed. I'm out traveling so much, I'm barely home. Mm. So for me, I just don't have time for it. Mm. And I, want, uh, I, I now have the opportunity to wholly and solely focus on my job without distractions. And mm. if I want a distraction, I can distract myself by going to God, go shopping yeah, or whatever, term. short term. Mm. So for me, no, relationship, no. Look, if he fell in front of me and he ticked off all my, all my requirements, mm -mm. then why not? Mm. You know, but there there's some pretty major requirements yep. in that list. 
Yeah. So, and that is, I travel so much. Mm. You have to be able to be good within yourself, mm. be comfortable in your own skin, mm. because this this is not changing. I'm not changing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm independent. Yeah. I'm financially free. Mm. I take care of myself. I do my own thing. Um, yeah. Mm. There's a lot of requirements. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know if there's anyone out there, but that's okay. Oh, It'll happen like if it's meant to happen. I'm good. I'm mm. good with with everything. And mm. yeah. My focus is is me. Yeah. Me now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hundred percent me. Well, thank you so much, Christine, (laughs) for sharing your story. It's been. I think you're really brave to share your story so candidly and openly. Um, If you could go back in time, I guess to that really young Christine, who was about to leave the uh, Australia for the US, knowing all of the wealth of knowledge that you know now, what one advice would you give that young Christine? Be brave. Be brave in anything and everything that comes in front of you. Whether that is to open your mouth and talk and speak up. Whether that's to say no because it doesn't align with who you are. Yeah, be brave in absolutely everything. Just think about that in every thought or every decision that you make. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. And if there was just three tips that you could give to any women suffering from domestic violence in any shape, way or form, um, maybe those people who are right in the middle of it, who don't know the way out, who can be a little bit, because things can be a little bit hazy like we mentioned mm. before, the pros and cons between the, the scale, right? What three advice would you give them? I would say always make sure you're safe. First and foremost, you, the kids, everything's replaceable. So just make sure you're safe. Don't worry. Don't do what I did and worry about all the stuff that you'd provi- you know, provided that were materialistic. Just make sure you're safe. Reach out. There's so much out there that you can actually reach out to and don't be scared to go to the police. If you are saying you're going out shopping or whatever and picking up the kids, just go straight, straight to the police station. You need to report it. You need to get yourself out of it. Um, And when they say, oh, you can't live without me, you can't do this without me, blah, 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 guess what? You can. You actually can. There are places out there like the... um, safe haven charity they help these people get back up on their feet um there are places a lot of places out there these days that actually can help you Hmm. back when i went through it the first time round, there wasn't a lot of resources but there's so much out there now just be brave and and take that step but only if you know you can be safe don't keep listening to Hmm that you can't do this, you Mm. can't, you can't, you'll never do this. No. Mm. If anything, you Mm. will do everything and more Mm. because they told you you can't. Show them. Yeah. Mm. Show them you don't need them. Mm. You do not need them and and your children don't need them. Mm. Um, You know, my daughter's good. Mm. She's fine. She did normal teenage stuff. Mm. (laughs) You know, so... I think if anything, it'll make her more resilient mm. and be extremely selective yes. in her yeah. life partner. Um, if we know someone who is going through a DV in their own lives, how could we best help them, do you think? 
I think just being there for them, not forcing, you know, not forcing conversation. Um, because when you get into that DV situation, you sometimes can be in a, in a space where you shut everyone out and you just want to do it your way because that's all you see mm. is tunnel vision mm. because you're keeping your eye on the prize at the end of it. So, but just letting them know that you're there for them, no judgment mm. because the, the worst thing is that when you're in that state of mind, then you think you've got no one to turn to, yet you've got everyone. Yeah. But because you think you yeah. don't have anyone because they've stopped calling you, yeah. because they don't want to deal with your shit, yeah. right? Just mm. always every now and then be, hey, how are you going? Should we catch up for a coffee? Mm. Even though it might become to the point where you're like, I'm really sick of them. Like She's just doing her own crap. But yeah. Keep the doors open. Make sure that person knows that doors are always open. Yeah, because it's not easy to see the way out from the inside in, right? Yeah. Um, things can seem to be very murky and you just need to be there for when they're ready. Yeah, yeah. Just be there, yeah. So just always the reminders of the doors are open. Judgment, you can't, you just, yeah. Because we're already going to make up our own mind. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's that's it because even for me I thought I had bent the bridges with everyone even my own stepsister mm. she was the last place I could go I turned up one night with my car packed and my daughter and I felt bad for intruding yeah and so I got up early the next morning jumped in the car and off we went mm. I haven't spoken to her really since mm. yeah you know, and that was someone that was a family member. Yeah. Hmm. So, but I I chose to do what I wanted to do and then go, well, I don't want to hear your crap, but that's what I can say for outside, you know, everyone in, don't try and tell that person what to do. Mm. You just remind them that, to you're be, that you're there to be safe and that they can call any time and then not just say that once, Every every now and then. Let's catch up for a coffee and mm. just like that or let's go for lunch. Mm. Because maybe in your, from their perspective, they've been saying this again and again and again, but they didn't hear the voices that they're hearing back home that are 100 times more saying the opposite, the total yeah. opposite. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. That's a good so it's just very, yeah, just try to reach out. They're always going to say no mm. until they're ready yeah. to to you know really take a step out there but just as long as they know they've got in the back of their mind they've got people mm. yeah because it's a lonely road okay yeah well thank you so much Christine you're welcome for sharing your story um, I hope it provides a lot of inspiration for other people out there who are either suffering or wanting to get out or have survived and want to help others as well yeah yeah thanks for having me no it's been a pleasure <laughs> it's great thanks this episode of The Breadwinning Mums was produced by me, Jane Lim, and our theme music was produced by Sam McNally. We recorded this episode on the lens of dark people who have passed their parenting story for generations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and thank them for caring for country. Connect with us through LinkedIn or Instagram at Breadwinning Mums. Until next time, 